welcome to Ultiverse Q, your guide to the ultimate universe. Now in podcast form. I'm Luke. And I'm Dev. And this week, we're dropping something on you. <gasps> An ultimatum. Uh, oh, wait, sorry. Uh, the Ultimates. And an Ultimate Spider-Man issue called Ultimatum. Yeah. Bit slow on the, uh... Yeah. There this morning. Devony, how have you been doing? Good. But sleepy. Mm. It is early in the morning for you. That it is. Well, it is a reasonable time for me to be up, and this week we are talking about three sets of stories. The first part of Ultimates Volume 1, as well as the next section of Ultimate Spider-Man, and then the Ultimate Spider-Man Super Special. And, yeah, I guess we should just get into the, uh... One of the most probably divisive comics that we're going to be have that we're going to like cover on here because uh, we're covering Ultimates number one through six, which came out in two thousand two, was written by Mark Millar with pencils by Brian Hitch, inks by Andrew Curry, letters by Chris Eliopoulos, and colors by Paul Mounts. And as much as I like the thesis of the ultimates i think the execution is garbage and does not hold up well with a critical eye brought to it i still had a lot of fun with it luke what i think that is a thing you can have a lot of fun with it but if you try and put a lot of scrutiny onto it if you try to like look at how the depictions mean that the characters are horribly rooted in the then and now. Oh, 100%. You see a lot more of the... Yeah. Because, like, even down to Captain America, he is what people who are unfamiliar with Captain America think. Like, if this was Captain America, all those people with Punisher skulls on the back of their trucks would have Captain America shields instead. But luckily, Marvel has done a good job of burying this Captain America into being the jingoistic, nationalist asshole that he is. Yes. Because we start off back in 1945 as American soldiers are flying in a plane to stop a German superweapon that can theoretically end the war for the Americans. Which is not normally what happens in World War II. Nope. And even though they have Captain America with them, none of the soldiers, including Kowalski, really believe that he can help, except for Bucky, who is Captain America's friend. And Captain America, meanwhile, is looking at a photo of the love of his life, Gale, before he jumps out of the plane without a parachute as they head into Iceland, which does not make sense because of some stuff that happens later on. Yeah. And yeah. So the soldiers are trying to get into the German stronghold. Kowalski is injured, and as he is complaining about Captain America not being there, Bucky points out that Captain America has somehow gotten into another plane, which he has hijacked, and then he flies into the wall of the Nazi base, 
to stop the Nazi missile targeting the White House. And it's like, why did he just steal another American team's carrier ship? Carrier plane? Yeah, I didn't get that. It's like, why did she just fly yours? It's like they were trying so hard to make him seem like an over-the-top badass that it's like, oh, yeah, here's Captain America specifically jumping out of a plane without a parachute. Oh, now he's in another plane flying it. Maybe he just went under the bottom of the plane, rolled back up top, and then was like, hey, pilot, I think you're a Nazi scum. Punches him out, tosses him out of the plane, and then he flies the ship in. It's it's a weird thing straight off the jump. Maybe he had a grappling hook. You mean a cappling hook? Ho ho. Yes. Yeah. So Cap flies the plane into the base with the Nazi missile, which is targeted at the White House. And there's a nice bit here where the German soldiers are actually speaking German, but it's not translated or anything, and it sort of spoils some stuff that comes up later. But it's done really well. We'll keep that a surprise. So they find the super advanced rocket that has been made with tech from beyond the world. And as it begins to launch, Captain America jumps onto it, works to destroy the missile, causes an explosion that knocks him off into the water, and the entire missile explodes as Cap sinks further into the water. We then cut to 2002 as Tony Stark and his top men are on Mount Everest as part of a fast, and he has come up with a new idea for a plan, because it's a weird jump cut, because you think that it's like, oh, we just found Captain America in the ice, and no, that's not what happens. Tony's like, look at me on my kick-ass vacation. Mm Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of the Marvel Cinematic Universe was based on stuff here, but they were able to get people who understand things like story pacing and connecting things better together oh, yeah. and not making everybody irredeemable assholes. Oh yeah, yeah most of the movies are based off of the Ultimate Universe. Mm-hmm. Even though Just, like a lot of like the costume design as well. In the same way that almost every Mark Millar movie is better than what it was adapted from, Every Ultimates, uh, everything based on the Ultimate Universe is done better in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Which, it's like, is a better idea, man, but I think a lot of the time he just doesn't care enough to stick the landing or make something that... That's because that he has too many ideas that he's going to another one. We cut to Mark Millar one day in his writing lab, and there's like 30 people with djembes and like an entire New Orleans street band. I need to get this to work. This is how I'm going to be granted Doom Patrol. It's a concept album. Yes. I don't know why Mark Millar is kind of Australian-ish. I don't either. Since he's a, since he's a scout. Ach, me doc, McDoc, McDoc. There we go. Tank full of money. I got all these djimbes. Yeah, I... 
Zach, if you're listening, this is where you can say, Luke, you can't criticize me for all the Irish stuff that I did last week. And you'd be right. I look forward to your Twitter that I don't immediately recognize, which is why you should also end that with hashtag Luke Remember. Also, if anyone else is listening to this podcast and knows what I'm referencing, please also tweet at me with hashtag Luke Remember. Back in New York City, Nick Fury has fully turned into Samuel L. Jackson as he is getting dinner with Bruce Banner, Hell yeah. who we last saw in the Marvel uh, in the Marvel team up where he smashed through the Chelsea Pier as the Hulk. And that's largely Mark forgotten. Know what the Chelsea... Yeah, and also Mark Millard does not know what the Chelsea Pier is because I think that Bendis tried to specifically or non-specifically make it like a pier but chelsea pier is like coney island almost it's a place where people go to have fun and where also they have movie sets so like all those crates and warehouses it's like uh that's that's not chelsea pier mark maybe this is going through a recession well i tried to look into that and i tried to make it up like i tried to logic it out and it doesn't work if this is supposed to be based on the modern universe because it transitioned in like the early 90s mm. mm-hmm. maybe, might be maybe mark miller just thought that brian hitch knew what he was doing but it's millard who specifically calls him the chelsea peers and but maybe he like, assumed I, that brian hitch was going to draw the chelsea peers but it's more of... This is a two-man operation, Luke. Well, it's a four-man operation. Because it was Bendis, and I forget the artist on that issue, who initially made it a bunch of boxes and warehouses, which you could qualify if maybe there's movie things coming out, or maybe like 9-11 uh, emergency supplies. Mm. But no, when it it's straight up Chelsea Piers. There's a lot of questions and I, I just wanted to call that out. New York Luke. Uh, Fury has been keeping an eye on Bruce who has managed to stay calm and medicated, but he has not slept in days because he is afraid of uh, losing control. Just like when he turns into the Hulk, because that's apparently how he sees sleep, which is weird. Poor Bruce. I love sleep. Oh yeah, sleep is great. You heard their new album? Oh, yeah. Not quite as good as Song Logs, but still pretty good. Yeah. But it is a lot better than that one dream where you are, like, going down into the basement, and that werewolf that your brother joked about is actually down there, and he kills you, and then he kills the rest of your family. But you're somehow able to still see, even though you've been killed by this werewolf. Ah, true. I thought it was too experimental. Yeah. They should have done that like as a side project. Mm Mm-hmm. The Night Terrors. Anyways, Fury points out that he is spending millions of dollars just being watched. Like, almost everybody else in the restaurant is spies who are watching him. And it's, like, his job as the director of S.H.I.E.L.D., which... 
would be really great commentary on the spending used in anti-terrorism work if Mark Millar was ever actually going to do anything with it more. Because it, it sort of becomes Mark Millar, have you seen the, like, hey, cool robots meme? Yeah. Where it's, like, a guy looking at, like, Gundams and his vision point loops over criticism of war and endless war. And this just makes me think of that. So Fury passes on that the people in charge really need a new Captain America to fight super terrorism and Bruce wants to accept. And then he finds out that he is going to be the second in command after Hank Pym. Hank and his wife Jenna, meanwhile, are currently moving from their old base in Pittsburgh. And Hank is controlling ants to do the moving using pheromones. Janet is being supportive since Hank is taking his meds, while Hank is also working on the Giant Man formula, though neither of them are super jazzed about working with Bruce Banner. Janet has the ability to shrink and also grow wings and have electric blasts. And also, because this is a comic, every time she shrinks, she goes nude. Yep. Yeah, it's... Hank Pym is rude and can't make clothes that shrink with her. Because Hank Pym has a special folder of art saved on his DeviantArt page. Hell yeah. They're also excited that Tony Stark is planning to help them uh, by having Iron Man join the team. Which... Everybody knows that Tony Stark is Iron Man, right? I believe so. Yeah, because they had to because they're because there's the TV show that ends up coming out. Yeah. Uh, Tony, uh, meanwhile, is getting back from testing the new Iron Man suit and is frustrated that Bruce Banner is on the team because he's a danger and also everybody just kind of hates Bruce Banner because he's a creepy dude. Iron Man and Nick Fury also want to get Thor on the team, but S.H.I.E.L.D. has been able to unreach him. The Fantastic Four aren't allowed on the team because they're under a lot of scrutiny, which doesn't make sense based on the like other depictions that we've seen of them so far. And Nick Fury also mentions they don't have any mutants on the team for PR reasons. So it's going to stay as is, except for like a person who's going to get mentioned being added on in a few issues that I guess nobody would be excited over. And Tony is happy because he's going to be getting a lot of money through military contracts. Everyone's happy with military contracts. Mm-hmm. So when Bruce moves in, Janet meets with him and tries to talk about how she knows Betty Ross, who is Bruce's old girlfriend, and the daughter of General Ross who we've seen pop up a few times, and Fury has hired Betty Ross as the director of communications, but also Bruce reveals that she left him because he is a toxic influence, which is fair. Ultimate Bruce does kind of suck. Well, and it, they, I don't like how it is handled because they try and make it like a very new agey reason. Like, I, I feel like it's supposed to be sort of a joke on Bruce Banner. And also the idea that, like, oh, uh, leaving someone because they're a toxic influence is a joke. 
which is it's sort of like if you try and talk in like a cool voice like this other time people can't tell if you're real or serious i really like your shirt that you're wearing today Devin. thanks luke you couldn't tell if i was being serious or not No, Devin. Uh, what is what does your shirt have on it? I can't actually see what your shirt has. It's the one of those just Captain America shield shirts. Nice. I'm wearing my Scott Pilgrim shirt. Nice. Uh, but yeah, like I I think that sort of sums up. It's the cool guy voice where you can't tell what people mean. Where it's like hard to tell if it's ironically detached or it's just actively detached from everything that is going on. Or maybe it's a reference to the hit Britney Spears song, Toxic. I don't think it had come out at this point. Like, it was maybe two more years out. Yeah, I'm looking that up now. Uh, Nope, nope, it would have been out 2003. Yeah, this was 2002. Ah. You know, so, Mark Millar's probably got that hit ARC copy. <laughs> Oi, Brittany, it's me, Mark Millar. I hear you're working on a new song called Toxic. I need a copy. Uh, so Hank goes to test his giant man uh, transformation power, which specifically maxes out at 60 feet because otherwise a human skeleton won't be able to support him. And then Hank pretends that it goes wrong, and apparently nobody is watching the entire time this is going to go. But he actually did it perfectly and was able to stop a half inch from a maximum. And Bruce is just really grumpy because Hank is successful and he isn't until they find, like, frozen Captain America in the ice. Hank and Janet go on a date with Hank testing his new costume, which is larger and leather, which is a really weird choice. Like, no, if it gets H- raining. Hank is secretly just a big old leather daddy. The biggest leather daddy. Yeah. And, like, they try and do the whole we need more realistic rules. So, whatever Hank is going to change into, he'll just have to dress up in it when he gets big. This is why they invented pimp particles. So, you didn't need to be dicks about all of this. Or the unstable molecules from Fantastic Four. Yeah. It's comic book science for a reason. You get comic book solutions. You don't need to play, oh, it's gritty realism. Uh, Captain America, meanwhile, wakes up strapped in a bed next to Nick Fury, Bruce, and Tony. And also a bunch of soldiers who surrounded him. He tries to find out what happened, and when Fury is like, Hey, Cap, you've been frozen for 57 years. Captain America attacks because he doesn't believe a black man would ever get that high in the military and escapes until Giant Man grabs him. And the important thing here is that Bruce doesn't hulk out despite all the stress. That's probably because he's popping some Zans. Yeah, which, I mean, it's good to medicate yourself Mm -hmm. in this case 
So Fury takes Captain America to go and see Bucky, who ended up marrying Captain America's old girlfriend, Gail. There's a joke here about Robert Downey Jr.'s addiction problems that did not age well. The the joke still technically works. Yeah. It's just now weird because... He has completely, like, fixed those lifestyle choices that he used to make. Like, he specifically says, Take it easy, Cap. This nose has been smashed more times than Robert Downey Jr. So I guess, yes, it is still technically valid. But it's like we don't see Robert Downey Jr. that way anymore. Which is for the it's best. Like, but in early 2000s, Robert Downey Jr. was. Yeah. Like, there's that Simpsons joke where it's like, oh, wow, Robert Downey Jr. must be filming a new movie <laughs> when he's having a shootout with the cops. <laughs> and Bart's like, I don't see any cameras. <laughs> yeah. Oh. This was when he was currently method acting for the role with Demon in a Bottle. Which would then land him the part. So we go on to find out that Bucky has cancer and also he's old as balls. He used to be a photographer for a while. Steve and Bucky have a hug and then Gail changes her mind about wanting to see Steve because she reasonably felt guilty that she thought that Steve was dead, married Bucky, who was Steve's best friend, and ended up having a happy life and several children with him. And also that she got old. It's like, Gail, I sort of get what you're going through, but no one can really blame you for thinking that Captain America did not die and was frozen for like 60 years. I don't know, Jingo Cat might take offense to that. Yeah. You went with a beta male. That's what the B in Bucky stands for. (laughs) Beta, ugly, clueless. Kid. Yellow. That's why we call him Bucky. I'm Captain America. I'm gonna go make out with an eagle. (sighs) Just so many choices here. Uh, So Steve debates tracking down the rest of his living family members until he realizes that they mean nothing to him and they don't even know him and he has nothing left until Nick Fury is like, you got one more thing, Cap. And Captain America turns, and he sees the American flag there waiting to give him a big hug, and he cries a single solitary tear. Hell yeah. Where were you when Captain America did nasty things to the flag? Where were you when Captain America got arrested for doing nasty things to the flag? Technically, he violates flag code. By using elements on his costume. But nobody really cares about flag code. Unless it's a stuff where you drop a flag on the ground and you have to retire it and burn it. Then everyone cares. Unless it's like tiny plastic uh, American flags or like people's American flag shirts. Yeah, flag code is crazy. Flying code is crazy. So Nick Fury and 
Betty end up going to a big party for PR reasons to help make the Ultimates even more hype. And at the party, Bruce is having issues feeling like he belongs. Tony is being an asshole. Hank and Janet have to talk to George W. Bush. And Captain America reveals his new costume. <gasps> it's him wearing like a giant onesie and it's him having sex with the flag. Powerful look. That, that's just the image, yeah. And what do you say, Captain America? The future, cool or not? That's my George W. Bush. Is it good? It's decent. I mean, I haven't had to use it in a while. Hey, kids, remember when I did all those war crimes that people are forgiving me for? Also, I've got pictures of dogs now. His paintings are not bad. He should have just done that and not run for president. You know who else should have done that? Hitler. Truth. Here in the year 2019, we are able to compare Hitler and George W. Bush. It's, I'm, it's oh, God. So it's okay. And that the world would have been better if they had just pursued painting instead of leadership. Uh-huh. So, Tony Stark is hanging out in space with Shannon Elizabeth, who I had to look up who she was. <gasps> uh, actual actress. She was in American Pie as Nadia, and she was, she was... Justice and Jane Silent Bob Strike Back. Exactly. Come on, Luke. Yeah, I... Wasn't paying attention to names. Justice was the one in the girl thief group who ended up uh, falling in love with Jay. Yeah. Uh, and Tony Stark is also getting grilled by Larry King, who I had to look up because I could not remember his name. And so I just typed in Suspenders Goblin Man. Surprisingly, it got me the results that I needed. Thanks, Google. Google's got you. Mm-hmm. And, like, Larry King is bringing up a lot of, like, very valid points. Like, they spent $50 billion on superhero defense when Magneto was the only superhero attack. He doesn't bring up that it was also specifically the X-Men who stopped it and did not need a $50 billion budget. And, like, the fact that they couldn't replicate Captain America and that... uh <sighs> They also mentioned that Hank Pym is working on AI as a solution, which is not going to turn out well. But yeah, like $50 billion is a stupid amount of money to spend on anything Uh for a non-active threat when there are actually active threats. And that's when Nick Fury pulled some strings and got Larry King's show canceled. (laughs) That'll learn him. Uh, Jen, I mean, well, goes to help Steve Rogers shop for clothes, and he is upset about how things are different and how everything costs so much more than it used to, and he's an old man at heart. When Steve gets back to his apartment, which is in the bad part of town that he grew up in, he finds that his place is broken into, so he goes to assault everybody off-panel who did crimes against him. Betty, meanwhile, is angry that Giant Man is always only promoting himself, and she does not notice that Bruce is like, handling everything very poorly. 
she mentions that Hawkeye, the Arrow Man who they hired, has not shown up yet. And Thor has still not responded to any of their calls. So Nick Fury and Bruce Banner fly out to Thor in Norway, who is having a fun party, drinking with a bunch of people. And he brings up how they are part of a military industrial complex, which is bad. And Banner, who really hates Thor, says that he is just a madman. Thor shares some Thor secrets about Bruce Banner, makes it rain, and tells him that he won't join Thor is the only good ultimate. Oh, Thor's a great ultimate. He's the only good ultimate. Though he didn't make it rain like you want. Mm. He made it rain. He didn't stand up just flashing doing them dollar dollar bills. (sighs) Yeah. So weeks pass and nothing has happened with the Avengers so they are being seen as a failure. And the Avengers get into a conversation about who would play them in movies. So Nick Fury says that he'd be Samuel Jackson. What? Johnny Depp should play Tony Stark, which is a yikes now, bro. But it was uh, a Matthew... fine then, bro. Yeah. Uh, Matthew McConaughey would be Hank Pym. Lucy Liu would be the Wasp because they have like only one Asian actress who they can think of at a time. And either Steve Buscemi, Stuart Little, the mouse from the movie Stuart Little, Woody Allen, or Haley Joel Osment would be Bruce Banner. And honestly, I wouldn't mind Slow Joey as Bruce Banner. But Bruce Slow Joey would be a great that... Bruce Banner. But that was 2002 Slow Joey, who was still a child. Yes. Also, I'm sorry, Steve Buscemi as Bruce Banner would also be dope. Oh, yeah. Buscemi's got a lot of good range. Really, quite also, too. Stuart Little's Bruce Banner, that would be interesting. <laughs> they just have to mocap him <laughs> and then make a giant human sized Bruce Banner out of the mocap. <laughs> Stuart Little is the original Andy Circus. Wait, Devin. Or, or they could just make what? him still be Stuart Little, and then you can have Hugh Laurie's character always driving him to all the big superhero fights. <laughs> Devin, what if Stuart Little is Andy Serkis? Could be. Mm-hmm. So, Bruce ends up calling Betty, who is having dinner with Freddie Prince Jr. about playing Iron Man. But also, Freddie Prince Jr. wants to be a superhero. And Bruce says that he ended up taking the Hulk serum and mixed it with Captain America's blood because he needed to give the Ultimates an enemy. So he falls unconscious. Paramedics pick him up and he wakes up. And as they drive, Hulk says, Hulk want Freddie Prince Jr. And for those of you who don't follow me on Twitter, I decided that it would be important to do our research to reach out to Mr. Freddie Prince Jr. and see if he was aware of this. And after he initially thought that I was just some rando asking him a question, I proceeded to see if he had to sign his rights away and he had no idea what I was talking about. So Freddie Prince Jr. theoretically learned or relearned that uh, he is part of the false flag operation that secured funding for the Ultimates, a paramilitary organization meant to increase the surveillance of the world. 
And also, I realize that I said Avengers a few times when it should be the Ultimates. I don't know why they called them the Ultimates instead. The Avengers is such a better name. It is. But it makes sense because the Ultimates were a lame drab team. And then Freddie Prince Jr. was like, yo... I could totally make this lame drab team with a makeover, make them hot, and then we can all become king and queen of the high school prom. And this was actually a meta sequel to She's All That. Mm -hmm. And they end up changing their name to the Ulta Prince, or Prince Venue, or the Prince Avengers. One of those two. All of them are good? Yeah. This is where Ultimates works, Luke, because Ultra Prince sounds better. It does. It does. Yeah, it's it's options. I mean, it did not age well even like five years later when Freddie Prince Jr.'s career stopped being his career in 2002. Because of Kiefer Sutherland. Wait, what did Kiefer do? Oh, oh man. It's what I learned about Freddie Prince Jr. at San Diego Comic-Con because... Freddie Prince was there because he was the voice of the new Star Wars cartoon. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, apparently Kiefer Sutherland is just like the world's biggest douchebag and that when Freddie Prince was on 24, he said working with Kiefer was such a nightmare that he didn't want to do acting for a while. Because apparently uh, Kiefer has a huge ego and Kiefer is not a tall man but wants to be taller than everyone else. Freddie Prince says, apparently, normally when you do that, the actor wears platform shoes or something to make them taller. But Kiefer won't have that. So any scene that Freddie Prince had with Kiefer Sutherland, Freddie Prince was not allowed to wear shoes. And it was like other little things like that, which he just said were awful. <laughs> which Kiefer then was also at San Diego Comic-Con and denied those allegations. But quite truthfully, I believe Freddie Prince. <laughs> it's like no those details are way too specific for him to just been making those up (laughs) all time we're so cute you're a guide to the ultimate universe also apparently freddie prince jr now has a like let's play channel so good for you freddie prince jr yeah we salute you here with the Ultiversal Q trophy for essentially doing a 9-11 in the Ultimates universe. So, S.H.I.E.L.D. sounds the alarm and the Ultimates head out to fight him and they witness the destruction that the Hulk has caused and are prepared to take him down. And Thor is emailed and he responds that he will only help the President doubles the international aid budget Thor is a true ally. Hulk, meanwhile, chases down Betty and Freddie Prince Jr. as Giant Man tries to grab him off the side of a building. But it turns out the Hulk is too horny for that to stop him. Mm-hmm. So he knocks Giant Man out and plans to piss and shit inside Giant Man because... Hulk <laughs> nasty. <laughs> good old Mark Millar, some good old-fashioned poop and pee jokes. Jokes. Uh, So Iron Man knocks Hulk away and gets his suit ripped off by the Hulk and is blasted out of it. 
uh, Wasp ends up flashing the Hulk because, sure, I mean, it works. And then S.H.I.E.L.D. literally drops a tank with Captain America in it on top of the Hulk, which the Hulk just rips open. Cap and Hulk fight for a bit, but Cap is unable to administer the drugs. So as Fury prepares to nuke Manhattan, Thor flies in because Thor made George W. Bush double that aid budget. And uh, he beats the heck out of Hulk until Hulk retaliates as Freddie Prince Jr. escapes. Hulk chases after Freddie Prince Jr. as the Wasp enters into Hulk's ear and then zaps his brain to make him not angry and horny. And Bruce crashes back into Chelsea Pier, which, once again, not a shipping dock. And Bruce wakes up in the morning after Captain America and Wasp find him and Cap kicks him unconscious with his jackboot so that way he can be arrested for crimes while being horny Hulk. Good job, team. Capri Sun and orange slices for all. The Triskelion base, the S.H.I.E.L.D. headquarters, is turned into an emergency response center. Betty blames herself, which is really just dumb. Because she did her job, and Bruce did not handle it well. She should not feel bad about what happened. Uh, She ends up hiding that Hulk was actually part of the Avengers team and then pushes the heroes to do PR, which keeps them all busy. Tony and Thor become friends and invite everyone to go and have dinner. So Cap and Thor go to Tony's apartment for dinner. They try and celebrate and Stark talks about how he is doing Marie Kondoing. And they prepare for a nice night, which like Captain America could have actually read a like Sky Mall article about Marie Kondo's philosophy mm-hmm. in 2002. That one did age well with her new Netflix show. Mm-hmm. Larry King and Freddie Prince Jr. and uh, who's a lady who's in the spaceship? Shannon Elizabeth. Just need to get a new TV show on Netflix. Shannon Elizabeth is going to be in the Jane Silent Bob reboot movie that is currently filming. And Freddie Prinze was the voice of Caden Jarrett for the last five years of Star Wars Rebels. Really? Oh, and I think Larry King does have a Netflix show. The it's, thing Larry you King's, it's Larry King's sex bungalow. We don't have sex, except intellectually. So, Janet tries to get Hank ready to go, but he wants to finish the Ant-Man helmet that he is working on because he got his ass kicked. And also, Hank is an asshole who says that Janet is only dressing nice for the other men. Janet's dress is also bad, actually. It was not a well-designed dress. No, she would not be able to move around in that thing. Um, Mark and Brian, you gotta get better about learning women's fashion. Especially when you're drawing the queen of fashion. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, here she's not as much of the queen of fashion as she was elsewhere. But it's Maybe still the legacy like, of Janet Van Dyne. She's here is more like the queen of fascist. Anyway, 
uh, Hank also says that she's hiding that she's being a mutant and that they wouldn't like her if they knew the truth and that she apparently just lays clutches of eggs, which is weird. And Jana calls him out for taking credit for basically designing all of his stuff off of her powers and using her genetics to make this technology. And then it turns into domestic assault as he smacks her and they get into a fight. Meanwhile, Thor says that he is here to save the world by being woke and he won't join the Ultimates, but he will save people's lives. Thank you, Ultimate Thor, for being the only good member of the Ultimates. He's a good dude. He's crazy about Elvis, loves Jesus, and horse Jesus too. And he's free, free fallen. Uh, so the fight with Hank and Janet escalates, so she shrinks and bio-blasts him, and he sprays her with bug spray and then attacks her with ants, because Hank Pym is an asshole, and also apparently he stopped taking his meds. Back at the party... Back at the party, Tony explains that he does everything for a thrill because of his brain tumor that might kill him. Spoiler, it's not actually a tumor. And then he gives Captain America a gift, which is his World War II helmet that he bought from Kowalski's daughter, and they all toast. And Hank is left in the wreckage of the assault on his wife, who might be dead. Fuck you, Mark Millar. We'll be back with Ultimates soon. Also, it should have just been a tumor in Tony's brain, because the real thing is dumb. Anyways, uh, we then move on to a much better story, Ultimate Spider-Man numbers 22 through 27, written by Brian Michael Bendis, with pencils by Mark Bagley, inks by Art Faber, colors by Transparency Digital, and letters by Chris Eliopoulos. And shout out to Chris Eliopoulos, I specifically sent him thanks on Twitter because some of the lettering that he does in this section is very good. So... Previously on Ultimate Spider-Man, Peter slapped Doc Ock and Craven, but ended Australian up Australian Craven. Australian Craven, but ended up getting grounded by Aunt May. So we started with Spider-Man stopping some of what the Marvel Wikia credits as rollerblade hooligans. They'll apparently show up a few more times before he has to rush back into class where he stumbles in and his teacher makes sure that he at least knows how to do the homework that he's doing and isn't just faking being dumb. When class ends, Mary Jane tells Peter she found out that Craven's show has been cancelled and he shares how he got grounded. She wants to hang out with him at his place, but he doesn't think he can. And also he can't even be Spider-Man after school. And Mary Jane is angry that they can't even hang out, but then Harry Osborn shows up. And stops Peter from being able to make out under the bleachers. Uh, Last time we had seen Harry, Harry saw his father Norman, who had been turned into the Green Goblin, kill his mother, burn down their house, and Harry was left traumatized. Flash tries to greet Harry as like, oh hey, what's up friend? And Harry's like, oh yeah, you did not check in with me once. Screw you. And then there's some not great jokes about Flash being gay until Flash leaves. Harry meets Gwen, and it turns out that Harry was specifically told to look out for Gwen. And he's just happy to be back at school, 
and he's glad that his dad is back and he's processed everything and his dad didn't turn into the Green Goblin. And then Harry invites Peter over, but Peter's like, oh, sorry, Harry, I can't meet your dad, who I'm pretty sure killed your mom and burnt down your house. I'm grounded. And I can't tell you those secrets for why I think that that happened. So Peter heads home and is worried about Norman being back and how everything keeps happening. And when he gets home, a limo is there. And Aunt May tells Peter he can go and visit Harry because it's special And as Peter heads downtown, he sees a mysterious figure, the Green Goblin, watching him. He meets Harry, who says he heard Mary Jane say that she loves Peter. And he wants to go on a double date with Gwen. And when they get in, Harry has to go talk to his therapist. But he asks Peter to talk to his father. Peter goes into Norman's office, which has two sharks and a tank, which is a power move. In very early 2000s. I think late 90s. I think it would still be a power move nowadays. For sure, but this is also about the time that we had Dr. Evil in the hit Austin Powers franchise. Yeah, but he didn't have his sharks like this, and he couldn't actually get sharks. He just got ill-tempered sea bass. It's true. But he wanted With them. freaking laser beams. You want to know something weird, Devin? Uh, it's time for a uh, special Ultiverse Q tangent. What's the tangent, Luke? Uh, I went over to hang out with Tim yesterday. Of course. And uh, he had that new Raspberry Pi device where you get, like, all the video games that were ever made for, like, the early consoles before the N64 on it. Those aren't new, Luke, but sure. Yeah. Well, his copy of it was new. Oh, okay. And, uh, yeah, we we tried playing an Austin Powers game, and it was really confusing. Because it tried to pretend that it was an old, like, 80s computer program. And then, ultimately, all that we were able to do after like 10 minutes of setup was play a random task in rock, paper, scissors, which was not good. That's unfortunate. Yeah. Oh, behave, Luke. Do I make you horny? No. So, uh, Norman is also currently watching the fight with Peter and Doc Ock. Norman reveals that he got super buff, and he knows that Peter is Spider-Man. He knows everything. He wants Peter to stop being a hero and basically do what he wants so he can turn into the Green Goblin anytime now that he has a new Goblin Serum. Norman reveals that he also has Harry hypnotized into forgetting what really happened, And he turns from the goblin back to normal and expects that Peter will keep the secret from Harry and will do what he wants Peter to do whenever he asks. Otherwise, he will attack Peter's loved ones before torturing Peter and then beating Peter to death. Yeah, that sounds like a fun night with the friends and their families. And then they go to watch an NBC interview about the attack of... uh, about the attack on Osborne and his return and how he blames the attack on Justin Hammer, who died last time. And so Peter leaves, has a panic attack, and then gets home 
where Aunt May senses that something is up. Aunt May thinks that Peter had been with Mary Jane previously when he stayed too late out at night, but he apologizes, cries in Aunt May's arms, and then she ends up ending his grounding. Mary Jane calls, and they get interrupted by what Peter thinks is Harry, but is actually Gwen, so Peter hangs up on Mary Jane, and then goes to Aunt May for help because Gwen is being Gwen, and so Aunt May makes everybody eggs before calling Captain Stacy, and they all have eggs late at night. No wheat cakes here. Not in the 21st century. Because everybody's on that keto diet. Mm-hmm. So the next day at school, Peter tells Mary Jane about everything that happened last night and tries to warn her about Harry, but then Gwen glomps on him and interrupts the conversation before Peter is called to talk to Dr. Bradley, the school counselor who'd previously tried to talk to him after the goblin attacked the school. And when Peter is alone with her, she asks about the Osbournes, specifically Norman's new powers, and whether he knows that Peter is Spider-Man, and Peter starts freaking out because he senses that Nick Fury, director of S.H.I.E.L.D., is in the room. Dun, dun, dun. Fury explains that S.H.I.E.L.D. has been keeping track on him for a while, but they can't legally use him because he is not an adult. He explains how Oz was supposed to be developed as a new super soldier serum, but Norman wasn't able to generate anything solid, so S.H.I.E.L.D. fired him, and since his ass was on the line, he started talking about Oz to the public. Peter showed that it could work when he turned into Spider-Man. Uh, he used it to turn into the Goblin, and now it is driving him crazy. They are unable to stop him because they can't spy on Americans in America. Lol. And they can't act until they have active proof that they Lol. can legally get. Yeah. I think Fury just wanted to fuck with Peter and see what happened. Probably. So they need Technically, active Technically, I don't think the Patriot Act had been passed yet at this point. I think we're like one year but away. It's also a super spy organization. But there's also that. The, the biggest part. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so they need Osborne to do something in public. They figure that Osborne is going to ask Peter to kill Nick Fury. And S.H.I.E.L.D. will watch his loved ones until that happens. And that will be actionable enough for them. Until then, he can't tell his loved ones. And Peter gets angry and leaves, running from the school, from Harry and Mary Jane. And then when he gets home, Osborne has a limo because Norman has invited Aunt May and Peter to dinner. Peter pulls Aunt May aside, and he warns her as much as he can, and Aunt May remembers how Uncle Comrade Ben said to never thrust rich people. And so they decide not to go to Harry's house, and Peter suits up. Peter decides that he will risk everything to protect his family and loved ones, so on the way into the city, he runs into the goblin who is angry at him, like, because Goblin he is had planned in... out the best kick-ass spread that this town had ever seen. And Peter had the audacity to stand that up? Norman is really trying to make the keto diet work. Mm-hmm. And he wants to spread his secrets to everyone else. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, his diet is eating keto bells, which is not the way it's supposed to be. 
You were supposed to lift those things for sick gains, Norman. Truth. So, uh, the goblin is somewhat incomprehensible and claims that Peter owes him for everything that he has. And the goblin flies down and swoops up to pick Mary Jane, who had come with Harry to get dinner. And the next issue starts with the flashback of Harry during a hypnosis session where he is being told by Dr. Miles Warren that his father loves him. And Warren reports that the words that he's programmed into Harry may be ready. Osborne gets told that Peter didn't get into the limo, so he takes the Oz serum. And we see that he is like hearing multiple voices talking about him. And he's hearing and he's seeing hallucinations. And when he sees uh, like Spider-Man, Spider-Man partially turns into like a spider monster. And it's really done well. Uh Thanks to the lettering. Thank you, Chris Eliopoulos. Anyways, Goblin takes Mary Jane and chucks her off of a bridge. So Spider-Man dives to save her and webs her foot. And when he gets her onto the bridge safely. She is non-responsive. <gasps> and like, I, I remember that she didn't die, but I can just imagine so many people reading this issue because that's a cliffhanger. Like, oh no, she got Gwen stacy And it is carried out very well. Yeah. Also, what happened in the kick-ass film... Spider-Man, directed by Sam Raimi. Just with less cliffhanger and parts. So, at the Triskelion, the base of S.H.I.E.L.D., Fury is watching the fight and calls in on them to attack the Goblin after Spider-Man has grabbed Mary Jane. Meanwhile, Mary Jane wakes up, but once again, holy hell, that cliffhanger. And Spider-Man asks Mary Jane to go and hide... And not even to just go home, because Goblin would expect her there, so a random taxi driver stops to help Spider-Man as he returns to go fight the Goblin. He starts wailing on the Goblin with support from the S.H.I.E.L.D. helicopters, but the Goblin escapes and returns to the penthouse as his powers are fading. Harry finds the Goblin about to inject himself with more of the serum, so Norman says, Cellar door, which is one of the activation words knocking Harry out before... He takes more Oz to grow bigger and buffer. Spider-Man shows up, is tossed through the shark tank, breaking it, releasing those sharks out of the water. And this also wakes up Harry, who sees the goblin about to kill Peter because Spider-Man's mask has been ripped at this point. Peter's able to break free, and the shield helicopters have made it over, so Peter throws a statue at Norman Osborn, who breaks it and tosses a big chunk of it out of the window, so Peter has to go and stop that part of the statue uh, to save the people who might be below. Harry sees all of this and sees Norman going to stab his best friend Peter and just runs his dad through with a piece of metal. And then Quartermain, the shield agent in the helicopter, shoots Norman with the cure. Harry faints again uh, because he sees Peter in the mask. And then Nick Fury and Shield come in. They plan to help Harry out by deprogramming him. Fury calls out the protection on Peter's loved ones because they should be safe, and he tells them to have some fun. And Peter's really pissed off that Nick Fury, after all this, is telling him to have some fun. And Fury's like, yeah, you're only free until you're 18, and then I own your ass unless you do something dumb. And so Peter runs home and finds Mary Jane. Mary Jane thought Peter was going to be at the Osbournes that night because Peter didn't actually say what was up with Norman Osborne and why she should be afraid. 
She wants to know what happened, but Peter doesn't have the energy and doesn't want to put her into more danger right now. Also, good that Harry Osborne gets deprogrammed because otherwise he will never know the finale to the hit film of this time, Donnie Darko. Yeah. This arc is, like, fantastic. Yeah. It is why people love Ultimate Spider-Man. Like, even when you know what happens, the art is, like, on all gears. The dialogue is excellent. But you know what's been less excellent by Brian Michael Bendis? What's that, Luke? All of his current work. (laughs) Oh, that too, but dang. You just go for that guy, aren't you? I did. So, uh... Yeah, we have what is sort of the finale of Ultimate Marvel Team-Up, which is Ultimate Spider-Man Super Special number one. And it was written by Brian Michael Bendis with art by Alex Maleev, Dave Breton, John Romita Sr., and Al Milgrum, Frank Cho, Jimma Food, Scott Morse, Craig Thompson, Michael Evan Oming, Jason Pearson, J- Sean Phillips, Mark Dagley, and Rodney Ramos. Bill Sinkevich, P. Craig Russell, Jason Burroughs, and Walden Wong, Leonard Kirk and Terry Pallet, Dave Gibbons, and Mike Gay Dose, James Gocholka, David Mack, Brett Willadell, Ashley Wood, Mark Bagley, Art the Bear with Colors by Transparency, Digital and Digital Chameleon, and Letters by Chris Eliopoulos. Gotta catch them all, gotta catch them all. Uh, yeah, it's a jam issue. A major jam. So we start off with Peter doing patrol in Manhattan when he sees a guy with a sword and guns shooting at someone else. So Peter stops the guy with the sword and the guns and then goes to check on the target, who turns out to be a vampire. And the guy who Peter had stopped is actually Blade, who kills the vampire. And Blade says... Never mess around with me again. And then he runs off. And Peter shows the stake to Mary Jane later on, who did not want to know about how vampires existed, because both of them are just super burnt out at the time. We find out that Peter also had a rough time when he stopped Electra from doing an assassination. And after they fought, she ran off. Peter and Mary Jane looked her up online and found her. And what her deal was... Because there's apparently a whole group of, like, assassin fans online who are doing rankings and things. And it's an Assassination Nation update. Devin? Yes, Luke. Assassination Nation is very good. And Fuck Tarkington is an amazing character name. I know. You You told me that last time. Yeah, but you should buy... The comics by Kyle Starks, who's done Mary, who's done many good things like Sex Castle, Kill Them All, Rock Candy Mountain, and more. And Erica Henderson, who you may know from The Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, and also that Jughead reboot when Chips the Dark Sky is ready. The first fall, yep. Yeah, that's the end of the. Assassination Nation update. 
So Peter and Mary Jane looked up Electron Line and found out her and her whole deal. And they also looked up the target and found out that he did a bunch of genocide. So Peter isn't sure that he did the right thing, stopping that genocidal guy from getting killed. And he recognizes that he is impulsive sometimes. But also something where being impulsive helps him not get caught up in the moment. And so he wonders if he should go and get help. So Peter starts swinging by Matt Murdock, a.k.a. Daredevil's office, to help try and draw him out, which works. And Peter's like, hey, I'm feeling very overwhelmed. And Matt's like, hey, I get it, but also how old are you? Peter reveals that he is 16 and Daredevil says, yeah, you're too young. And if you don't get out of here now, I'm going to turn you into the cops because I'm ultimate Daredevil and I suck really bad. Hashtag dick. Mm hmm. So we then get the flashback to the assignment in class where everyone is supposed to come in as a superhero. And it's like word for word of the same thing, just redrawn. Except now at the end of it, Peter leaves in the days after class. He ends up seeing people who are getting excited about the Ultimates and how they are heroes who people should count on. So Peter decides to maybe go and join a team where he can learn to be better. He goes by the Baxter building where Ben Grimm, the Thing, and Johnny Storm, the Human Torch, get into a fight. And the team finds that Spider-Man has been frozen by their security. And when they're looking up who he is, they recognize his father. And I think most of the stuff is actually going to get retconned pretty soon. Uh -huh. Anyways, they free Spider-Man, who asks if they are able to hire him. And uh, he wants to join the team so he can also get experience. And Reed's like, yeah, we're a family. And also, we don't have enough money to pay anyone, which is why we have all these robots that work for us. And it's a struggle. But Reed's like, well, your father would be proud of you, Peter. And so as Spider-Man leaves, Johnny follows Spider-Man and is like, hey, I know what you're going through. Being worried. It's normal. And also, all of the Fantastic Four are in multiple forms of therapy. But the important thing, Peter, is that you choose to do good with your powers. And Johnny Storm also asks if he ever wants to hang out because he does not have any friends left over. This will also be retconned, too, because you also learn that the Fantastic Four are, like, super rich. Mm-hmm. So we cut back to school where Peter's teacher has changed race. As Kenny Kong finishes his speech about how the Punisher is his hero because he does what he wants with murder and violence, which it's a gag that I think would be better served if it was Flash Thompson. I doing agree, because Kenny's been established way too much as a Spider Man super fan. Yeah. And I do like how everybody disses on Kenny for liking the Punisher, though. Yes. And then Peter is called up and he talks about his father, who was the source of, with great power comes great responsibility. And he talks about how heroes aren't just the massive patriotic heroes like the Ultimates or the ones from other worlds or even just mutants or people willing to risk everything, even morality. But it's people who are willing to do what needs to be done to make the world a better place like his father. It's a decent speech, but I don't know how well it would do without, like, the panels and the slowed-down pacing that you get from it being mm -hmm. in a comic. And that is the end of this week's episode. It's It's been a packed one, Devin. It's been a doozy.
But you know what we got this time that we don't normally get? What's that, Luke? We got some listener questions before we get on to ranking the stories. So I'm opening up the old Tweedo. Moving to the city. Down, 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 down. Opening up tweets. Down, down, down. Checking this new follower. Down, 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 down. Don't know that guy. Down, 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 down. So, uh, this week we put out the call for questions and beyond. Uh, our conversation where Freddie Prince Jr. revealed that he had never been familiar. We got a few questions sent in to the Twitter. So the first, well, actually, you know, a few of them come from uh, at Leesk, who is James Leesk, who is the Muadab. Uh, the first, he wants to know, what is Freddie Prince Jr.'s best voice overall? I, I liked him a lot as Kanan Jarrus. I'm looking up to see what I've seen him in. Because I have not watched Rebels. You should. It's a good show. Yeah, I don't think I got to where he was in Mass Effect. So I'll just go with Kanan. Well, it's not even like the show. That's not even like the game. That was like a show. Or like a, like one of those weird animated movies that they did. Uh, he was also James Vega in Mass Effect 3. Oh, was he? Yeah. Yeah. And he was Iron Bull in Dragon Age Inquisition. Um, so yeah, so Kanan Jarrus for sure, because I didn't remember that he was even in Mass Effect. Uh, James also wants to know, the ultimate universe re-envisioned Green Goblin, a man on steroids, as a literal jacked goblin. What other non-monster Marvel villain should get the monster treatment? I mean, sometimes the jackal's the costume, right? Yeah... But sometimes it's not. I think the vulture could work if it, he was an old man who tried to turn himself young and he turned into a vulture. Well, we more or less kind of see that in um, Spider-Man Noir. Mm-hmm. And same with Scorpion. So there's and your answers. Scorpion, there's also some cool stuff. They made him into an actual monster before. Uh, James asks another question that is not relevant for this part. And then his last question is, the Ultimate Universe changed the model for Nick Fury to be that Jin's idea of cool, Sam, Sam L. Jackson. What YouTuber or SoundCloud rapper would be the model for a new Nick Fury now? Uh, who is your new Nick Fury? You act, uh, pass, because we're acting like I watch or listen to either of those things. Uh, I was, uh. If we want to make it a cool, normal rapper, then it is, uh, Killer Mike. Killer Mike with LP as a, is like the number two. Have that be a gender swap Maria Hill. I was going to say uh, Dezus and Miro. Dezus Nice and the Kid Miro. Because I enjoyed them a lot on uh, the one Jaden Smith anime. And apparently their new show is going pretty well. Oh, yeah. I like Shneo Yokio. So, yep, I was blanking on the title of the show. 
You watched that Christmas I did. special? It was good. It was very good, yeah. Fuck material I'm possessions. Glad finally... Yeah. And also, I'm glad Richard Ayode's character finally got a name. Yes. Uh, and then Andrew Young, our mutual friend who is currently Hocus Blockus, wants to know which single or combination of Freddie Prince Jr. roles would fare best against the Hulk in a fight. Uh, I feel like Iron Bull would probably be good with that because Ultimate Hulk is horny. And apparently people who like monster boating would be good. That's a tough question. I mean, she's all that one. He could give Hulk a new makeover and then potentially subdue, subdue him by wooing him. But then also, there's Fred Jones because he could call in his main man, Shaggy. Which, as we've been learning from the cultural memes as of late, Shaggy would end him. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I got it. It's Delgo from the movie Delgo. Hope you enjoyed your answers. Yeah. <laughs> Delgo was a self-financed uh, computer animated movie that had inadvertently horrific designs. And so it became sort of a cultural meme for the animation subset. But it's time for our Ultraversal Q ranking. So are you ready, Let's Devin? Do it. Uh, so we currently have a list of 22. This will get us up to number 25. Uh, at the top is Ultimate Spider-Man 8 through 13 Learning Curve. And at the bottom is Spider-Man Daredevil Punisher from the Marvel Team-Up issues 6 through 8. And up first, we have the Ultimates of Volume 1, numbers 1 through 6, Superhuman. I got a lot of problems with this. Like, it's entertaining, but morally. But you're supposed to be looking at, but now you're changing what the demographic and the whole theme of this was, Luke. You're supposed to be looking at it from Something. what it was at the time, which it did very well. I just still have a lot of problems with it. I mean, I'm not saying that I'm going to put it at the bottom, and it's definitely better than the like first volume of X-Men. True that. But I'd rather read the Spider-Man and X-Men Marvel team-up before I'd read this again. Mm, disagree. Uh, do you like it more than Resignation? Because I'm fine putting it just under Resignation. Sure. That's called a compromise. Uh, we then have Ultimate Spider-Man Volume 1, numbers 22 through 27. Legacy. No. Uh, is this our new number one? Number one, bro. Yeah. Nice and easy. And then last, we have the Ultimate Spider-Man Super Special, which uh, was another really muddled issue. Like, it had good stuff, but then also I don't think stuff. it was as Yeah. Or not uh, even necessarily bad stuff, just uninteresting stuff. Yeah. Maybe putting it right under the first volume of Ultimates, above Spider-Man and yeah. the X-Men. 
And yeah, that wraps us up for this week. Devin, do you know what we're covering next time? No. Uh, next time in two weeks, we are going to be covering more Ultimate Spider-Man as Spider-Man takes on... I am quickly looking up who he is going to take on. Uh, ooh, Rhino is going to be in this. Uh, we're going to get some more of Iron Man. Ooh, uh, I think we're going to be getting an imposter Spider-Man. <gasps> and some more stuff. And we're also going to be finishing up Volume 1 of the Avengers. You know what this A on my head stands for, Devin? A doesn't stand for Luke. Apple. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. So, Devin, where can people find you online? Oh, you can find me online at Fredo Fit. That's F-R-E-D-D-O-F-E-T-T. And Luke, where can people find you? You can find me online on Twitter at, at Coltreg. That's K-O-L-T-R-E-G. Uh, I need to get other stuff updated. You can find both of us on the Exiled podcast, which updates every Saturday. And on uh, other places, you can also find me on the RPG Pals Club podcast at rpgpals.club. And, yeah, you know, uh, go visit Ultraversal Q slash Multiversal Q, like Multiversal Q on Facebook. And, you know, if you're enjoying these new episodes, let us know. You can send us an email at multiversalq.com or just message us on Twitter. I gotta go and take care of some other things this uh, time, but we'll see you in another two weeks, and then it's going to be uh, movie time again. Yeah. So we'll also have a bonus episode after that. I will catch you all next week. Until then, catch you on the flip mode. Peace. Peace.